And uh, go to, just go to where you're going to sit and remain standing and turn to the book of James. Uh, it's going to be on page, the page number will be right there, page 1012 in those Bibles we set around the room. If you don't own a Bible, please take one of those Bibles home with you. Uh, James chapter 2, verse 14. We're just walking through the book of James and we're going to cover a section of it uh, today. So let's go ahead and read God's word now. James chapter 2, verse 14. What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warmed and filled, without giving them the things that are needful for the body, what good is that? So also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. But some will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works, and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that God is one. You do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. Do you want to be shown, you foolish person, that faith apart from works is useless? Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? You see that faith was active along with his works, and faith was completed by his works. And the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. And he was called a friend of God. You see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. And in the same way was not also Rahab the prostitute justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out by another way. For as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Lord, your word is pure and true, and your word gives us enlightenment and instruction. I pray for every person here that they would hear your voice in the scriptures, that they would hear you calling to them, and that, they, that you would speak your truth by the power of the Holy Spirit directly to every person here. So Lord, lead us and guide us as we open up your word. And we pray this in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. And all God's people said, amen. Go ahead and have a seat. Welcome to All Souls Church. Uh, my name is Harvey. I'm one of the pastors here. So if you're visiting our church, we're uh, honored that you're with us. You're welcome to be here, uh, especially if you're somebody who doesn't believe in Christianity or believe in the gospel. We would welcome you here anytime that you want to be here uh, to learn and, and to grow and to understand uh, what Christianity is all about. If you're new to our church and you are a Christian, uh, welcome. And if you have any questions, make sure you hit me up after church. To all the members, I love you. I love being your pastor, members and attenders, and I love preaching the word to you. Today, uh, we've got one of the more controversial and more important passages of scripture uh, to go through. So let's dig in. James chapter two. So we're in the book of James and we've called this series in the book of James, Integrated Faith. And the idea behind that is it's a faith that has integrity. So all of us ha you know, the, that have faith, that have put our faith in Jesus Christ, uh, there is, we have understood how this works, that God begins to work in your life. He begins to work integrity through your life. So there's all kinds of things that maybe aren't, don't have integrity, aren't under the rule of God. They're over here or they're over here. And what God is doing through his spirit is he's bringing all of these things under his reign. He's bringing his truth under his truth to be part of the truth of our lives that we walk in. And uh, we've seen that week by week in the book of James. And one of the things we also see in the book of James is it's wisdom literature. 
So different than other literature in the Bible, especially the New Testament, there's a few wisdom books in the Old Testament and one wisdom book in the New Testament, the, the book of James. But wisdom literature is different than other parts of the New Testament because it's not a story. It is a letter, but it's not the traditional kind of letter that we see. It's mostly about the places where the faith in your life interact, and, and that's called wisdom. When God's uh, the faith becomes part of your faith and it comes through your life, God's wisdom is coming through your life. And so we've called this series Integrated Faith because that's what we're all seeking. We put our faith in God, uh, we put our faith in Christ, and we now are working to have a faith that has integrity because we all have places in our life where we don't have integrity. Amen? Just me? Okay. I was going to say, like, because I know you guys. I mean, I love you, but you're not perfect. Okay. Um, So here's the title of my sermon and my main point today. Faith works. Faith works. Okay, I mean that in two ways. One, it works. Uh, We wouldn't want to have a faith that doesn't work, right? That doesn't actually impact or matter to our lives. Let me see if I can fix this. Is that a little better? It's not making the same noise. Good. Uh, So faith works. It works. It's actually effective. You wouldn't want to have a faith that made no impact on you, hopefully. I mean, what would be the point of that? You come down here, uh, you sing some songs, you hear the Bible, you worship God, and then there's no impact. That would not be the goal. We want to have a faith that works. And usually we begin seeking God because there's things going on in life that are painful and tough, and that begins to open our eyes. And so we seek faith so that it might work itself out into our lives and, and meet some of the pain points and some of the areas where we need God's help. Okay, so uh, I mean it in the sense that it works, but I also mean it in the sense that it works. It does good work. So anybody who has true faith will do good works. Um, Now, before I get too far into that, I don't want you to be thinking about comparing yourselves with other people. I'm not saying compare your works with other people's works. That's not the point here. Uh, I, am also not saying this to, to beat down on anybody, you know, to say like, man, you need to get your act together. You're not doing enough good works. That's not the point of this passage either. The point of this passage is for us to discover what true faith is. And, and it's actually possible to go to church week after week after week and not have a true faith, not actually have put your faith in Jesus, but maybe you're putting your faith in religion. Or maybe you're putting your faith in yourself being able to accomplish religion. But the gospel is that we put our faith in Jesus and then Jesus begins to work through our lives and it works in the sense that it's functional, but it also works in the sense that Jesus, he saves us so that he could work through us and bring blessing to this world. So Jesus doesn't just save you just for you to be loved and forgiven and restored. That is part of it. But he also wants you to take all of that grace that he's given you and give it to others, right? Uh, It's kind of like the concept of breathing. We breathe in God's grace and we breathe out God's grace. We breathe it in and we breathe it out. And so any version of Christianity where it's all breathe in, breathe in, breathe in, what happens to a person that breathes in, breathes in, doesn't ever breathe out? They die. They suffocate. So, you, you, so your faith has to work that way too. You breathe in the grace of God and then you breathe out the grace of God and bring blessing to the world that is around you. Okay, so uh, faith works. Another thing that I want to address here is that faith alone does not mean a faith that is alone. 
uh, we're part of uh, the Protestant tradition of Christianity, and we really put a lot of emphasis on the teachings of the Apostle Paul uh, because he wrote most of the New Testament, 13 letters in the New Testament. The book of Acts is a lot about him. And uh, Paul and other writers of the New Testament over and over very loudly say that we get right with God, that we are saved by God by faith and faith alone. Paul even says faith apart from the works of the law. There's, it's not faith plus works. In this passage, though, it seems that James might be saying it is faith plus works. Is this a contradiction? Or is there something we're missing that we don't understand? We're going to get there in just a minute, but first I want you to just get the concept that a true faith will have works as part of it. And that might mean for you, if you're new to the Christianity, uh, God is working in the very small places and it's just starting to happen. It might mean that God is uh, doing something big in your life. But think about God doing construction on your life. And then sometimes he's got a chisel and a hammer and it hurts a little bit. And other times he's just got like, you know, sandpaper and he's doing his work. But it will come through you, okay? Um, all right, so let's go ahead and uh, jump into this passage of Scripture. Um, Verse 14, the Apostle James says, What good is it, my brothers, if someone says, that word is important, that he has faith, but does not have worth? And then, can that faith save him? So it's somebody who says they have faith. Maybe they do, maybe they don't. But they do not have works. The question is, can that kind of faith save you? Now, what this is, is, you know, they were in this church uh, if you've been with us in the book of James, and there's all this tension between the rich people in the church and the poor people in the church. And the tension really came from the fact that the rich people were used to getting treated like royalty everywhere in the city, but when they came to the church, they were just treated like everybody else. And so they were kind of irritated about the fact that they weren't being elevated and given the best seats and all of this kind of stuff. And, um, and so you had that faction in the church, and then you had the poor people in the church that in their real life out in the world, they despised the rich people in the church because back then you didn't have a middle class. It was basically you were rich or very poor. And so they despised the rich people in the church, but sometimes the poor people in the church were more mature spiritually, and so they had to lead the rich people in the church, and so you can imagine all the tension that this would cause. It would cause a lot of tension in the United States, but these societies didn't have this idea of equality. Okay? The gospel brought equality, the church brought equality, and that's what was making everything really tough to deal with. And so there was all these people that were going to the church that confessed Jesus Christ, but they didn't have anything in their life that reflected that uh, in their life. And so he's talking about somebody who says they have faith. In other words, they say with their mouth, oh yeah, I have faith. And then, but they don't have works, and the question is, can that kind of faith save you? Can you have a faith that doesn't change your life, that doesn't impact your heart, that doesn't make you more humble, that doesn't release you from greed and lust? Can you just stay the exact same way and have your faith, no works whatsoever, no good works for other people, no change in your life? And that's what James is saying, that's not true faith. And the reason why this became a problem is because there's such clear teaching in the New Testament around that, that we are saved by faith and faith alone. So we put our faith in Jesus. That's what saves us. It's not the things that we do. It's not the things that we earn. It's putting our faith in Jesus that saves us. And so, of course, anybody that hears that message first goes, wow, that's a really good message. That's almost too good to be true. All I have to do is put my faith in Jesus. I don't have to earn it, and he will save me, and 
walk with me and love me, that's a great, that's good news. That's what we call the good news. But if you hear that from an evil ear, this is what you hear. Wait, so I can have my sins forgiven, go to heaven when I die, uh, and have God in my life, but I don't have to change or repent of any of my sin. I don't have to stop doing things that harm other people. I don't have to stop being selfish. I could just get the forgiveness and just keep moving on. And so this is the idea of cheap grace. They want to have God's grace, but they don't want to give God's grace. They want to have God's forgiveness, but they don't want to forgive others. And so James is addressing that and saying, you don't have true faith if that's you. And that's okay. Like if you're in that space where you're like, yeah, I don't know if I have a true faith yet. That is perfectly fine. James isn't here to beat you up. He's here to help you understand what a true faith is so that you might seek a true faith. Look at verse 15. He says, if a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warmed and filled, without giving them the things that are needed for the body, what good is that? So he's talking about, you know, we're, let's say here at All Souls Church, we're all here together, we're worshiping, we're getting to know each other week by week, and somebody in our church hits hard times, and they don't have what they need. They don't have a place to live, they don't have food, they don't have clothing, and they come to several members of the church and say, hey, this is what I'm going through in my life. And everybody's like, oh, man, we'll pray for you. Yeah, we're going to pray for you. Have a great day. You know? And then it uh, comes to me and it's like, pastor, I have nowhere to live. I have no food to eat. Uh, and I just say, oh, the Lord bless you. Oh, I really feel bad for you. May the Lord bless you. Be, be warmed and filled as you go. Right? When knowing that in my wallet I have some cash, but I also have some credit cards. I have an ATM card. I could make something happen for this person. And they're, they're part of our church, and they're confessing Jesus. But instead of interacting with them and trying to help them, I think, well, you know what? If I help them, I'm not going to have as much for me. And if I help them, I won't be able to get this. And why don't they work for their own anyway? And why are they asking me? We all do that. We all go down those roads in our heart. But if that person is part of our church... He's saying, you don't yet understand what the gospel is. That God met you in the place of your deepest need. When you were out on the street, when you couldn't feed yourself and care for yourself and lift yourself up, that's where Jesus met you. And if you turn to other people and say, eh, I'm not going to do that for you, what Jesus did for me, you don't yet understand the gospel. You don't have a true faith yet. Now, it might be because you're on your journey and you're on the way to a true faith, and that's okay. But some people just dig in and they say, you know what, I'll believe this stuff, but I'm not going to actually do anything about it. I'll believe this stuff because I want to go to heaven, but man, like, people just need to get their act together and stop asking me for stuff. So the, the, James is saying, if that's you, if somebody in your church comes to you in need and you turn them away when you had the means to help them, you probably don't have a real faith yet. And I want you to see what he's saying. He's not saying it's because you didn't earn your salvation through taking care of that person's need. What he's saying is you don't understand the gospel. You don't understand that God has done that for you. And once you understand that God has done that for you, you'll be free to do it to other people. And if you're ever worried about not having enough for yourself, remember that God provides for you. That if, as he provides for you, when you do good for other people, he will fill in the gaps and fill in the needs that you might have. So he's talking here about having a faith, but then rejecting it with your life. 
Recently, I heard about a, a very famous Christian who was all up in arms and down at the city council uh, because they didn't want a mental health facility to be built in their neighborhood uh, because that would cause problems for their neighborhood and it would cause property values to go down. And yet this person claims to be a Christian and is very publicly against this. I, that, that would be exactly, not that to say this person isn't a Christian, I don't know what's exactly going on in this person's life, but I do know this. There is a disconnect between faith and grace from God and needy people that are broken and saying, I, I'm needy and I need grace, but they don't get any. That's what James is saying. That's not a true faith. That's a dead faith. It's not a faith that is alive. And so uh, you can take a look at, at where your faith is uh, to think about how you think about the poor, to think of, you know, my old pastor back in the day when I first became a Christian, everybody still had checkbooks and they wrote checks. So I remember he said this and it stuck with me. He said, every one of you is writing a book and it tells the story of what you really believe. He said, it's your checkbook. And I was like, whoa, Pastor Dan, that's a good one, right? Because that's a, like, it's actually a very good, like if you go and look at where you're spending your money and how you spend your money, it's going to reveal to you the things that are most important to you. And if charity is not part of that, you got to ask yourself why. It's lip service without generosity. You can't say, I'm poor and needy. God met my need, but I won't meet the needs of poor and needy. So he says in verse 17 about that, so also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. Verse uh, 18. But someone will say, you have faith and I have works. So this is the person that says, look, some of you serve in the church and some of you do all these things for other people, but I'm just somebody with a real strong faith. I don't need to do all that stuff because I just believe what is right and true. And you guys will do that part. I'll do this part. I'll do the believing part. You guys do the works part. And James says this in response to that, that kind of thinking. Verse 18. Show me your faith apart from your works, and I will show you my faith by my works. In other words, he's talking here about not earning salvation, but showing salvation. Okay? He's talking here about not about uh, justification in the sense of God declaring you right, but justification in the sense of vindication, showing who you really are. So he says, I'll show you my faith by my works. So good thing for you to ask if you're a Christian. Just ask yourself or pray before God. Say, God, am I showing my faith by my works? It, 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 are your works coming out of my life? Now, you should do that for many reasons. One of the reasons you should do that is because you want to know if you really have true faith. But on the other reason that you should do that is because you'll probably receive a lot of encouragement. Because you probably don't even realize all the ways in which God is working through you and working in your life. And sometimes you actually need somebody else to help you see. We can be ultra critical of ourselves, but get around another Christian and say, hey, what have you seen? Like, am I growing? Is there anything changing? Help me out. And sometimes other people can help us see what we don't see. There's an old ancient Chinese proverb that says, the eye cannot see the eye. You know, there's part that we can't see ourselves fully. We need somebody else to help us see us. And so that would be a good thing for you to seek. All right, now look at verse 20. He says, uh, or sorry, verse uh, 19. He says, you believe that God is one, you do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. 
In other words, uh, believe God is one. This is a reference to Deuteronomy, which was the famous statement of Jewish people. They would say, uh, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And what they meant by that is God is a God of integrity. He's pure. But there's all, also they meant by that there is only one God. So he says, you believe that God is one. You believe the right things about God, and you believe in the one God, and you believe that he is pure and full of integrity. He said, well, the demons believe that. Like, you're not special if you believe that that's who God is, because demons believe that about God. But demons don't love God. Demons have faith without work. They have faith in the right doctrine, the right truths about God, but they don't have goodness and holiness. So there's no worship. In fact, when they think about the goodness of God, they shudder in terror. Demons are terrified of God. They want to run from God, but they have right faith in the sense of doctrine, theology. So don't think because you have the right doctrine down you confess the right things that you have true faith. That's a big part of it. <laughs> I will say this. If you don't have the right doctrine down, as far as like, if you reject that Jesus is the Messiah, you reject that Jesus is God's son, well, you need to have that as the right doctrine. I'm not saying doctrine is not important. I'm just saying if you have that as a doctrine, but you don't have works, you don't yet have true faith. You have an assent to mental knowledge. You have an assent to some facts about who God is, but true faith grabs onto God and holds onto him. And true faith asks for God to work and change. And that's just what demons do not do. So in other words, what he's saying is this. James is saying, and he's the pastor of this church, and this would be a tough thing to say. I'm sure he got some emails after this one. Some of you guys have faith of a demon. Oh, I'm going to write pastor an email about that one. How dare he, you know? But, you know, he had the courage to say it. Why? Because he loved the people enough to tell them what they needed to hear. Verse 20, do you want to be shown, you foolish person? <laughs> I love how just gentle James is. You, do you want to be shown, you foolish person? Right? I, I'm pointing that out for a, a, a real good reason, actually. Christians should not be jerks. Christians should not be self-righteous. But Christians don't always have to be polite. And Christians don't always have to be nice. James is not being nice. You foolish people. I say that to say because sometimes there is a right time, and this takes the wisdom of the Holy Spirit. Okay, so don't go off and go, look, I'm just being like James. I just, he's doing it because their salvation is at stake. Okay, he's not doing it because he's mildly irritated with them. Okay. He says, you foolish people. What, what, he's trying to wake them up. Like, you don't see the disconnect from what you believe and how you live? This doesn't bother you? That there's no integrity there? It has to bother you. He knows, we all know that that kind of thing bothers us. Verse 21. He now gives two examples uh, of two people that put their faith in God and it resulted in works in their life. Uh, so Abraham, verse 
21. Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? You see that faith was active along with his works, and faith was completed by his works. And the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness, and he was called a friend of God. All right, so um, Abraham believes God, and we see this in Genesis chapter 12. God comes to Abraham, says, now when God found Abraham, by the way, Abraham was worshiping false gods. He was worshiping the moon gods, uh, and he was not at all a seeker of the true God. God came to him. He did not come to God. God comes to Abraham, calls him, says, I am the true God. My name is Yahweh. I'm going to bless you, and I'm going to make a great nation out of you, and I'm going to be with you, and you have to just trust me. So I need you to leave your family, leave your country, leave everything that you know, and follow me. So Abraham does that. He puts his faith in the true God, and then he goes and follows the true God. Faith and works. But then he comes into this situation in his life because Abraham is the father of the faith. Our faith actually goes all the way back to Abraham as well. And because he's the father of faith, God puts him through a test that thankfully none of us have to go through. He puts him through a test and he says, I need you to sacrifice your son to me. Now, in the ancient world, that wouldn't have been crazy because all the false gods, you would sometimes sacrifice your children to the false gods. But Yahweh had never been like that, the true God of the Bible. But he says to Abraham, I want you to trust me. I need you to go sacrifice your son. So he brings his son up to the mountain, uh, ties him up, lays him on the altar, raises the knife, and he, he's trusting God. The book of Hebrews says he knew that God could even raise him from the dead if he needed to. He raises the knife and an angel stops him. And the angel says, uh, do not lower the knife into your son. God has provided a sacrifice. And then over in the thicket, there was a sacrifice there, and Abraham sacrificed the lamb instead of his son, as a picture of a lamb that will be sacrificed later. Instead of Abraham's son, it would be God's son that would be sacrificed. So it was a picture for us from the beginning. But here's what uh, James wants you to see. Abraham didn't just trust God. He was able, he, he came to the point of trusting God with the most precious part of his life, his son. And in the ancient world, that meant, means even more than today. In the ancient world, your whole, the whole of your life passing on is in your children. And so he's sacrificing his entire future, his entire identity for God. And this is what James says. That is true faith. His, he was justified it's, he even says here, by his works. Now, before you get all nervous about that, uh, you should get nervous about that if you're not nervous about that. Because the Apostle Paul is very clear on how we get justified before God. So go, look up on the screen really quick. Uh, if, in, the Apostle Paul says in Galatians chapter 2, verse 16, he says, We know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. We also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by Christ faith in Christ, and not by works of the law, because by works of the law, no one will be justified. So Paul says you do not get right with God by works of the law. You only get right with God by faith. And he says it three times in that passage. And he's, the entire book of Romans is about that concept, that you get justified by faith, and then works follow. 
Okay, the book of Galatians is about that. It's all over the New Testament. It is so clear. Jesus talks about it. Then what the heck is James saying here? Is James contradicting all of that? Well, the answer is actually, thankfully, no. First thing is this. When you have 100 verses saying one thing and one verse saying another thing, you don't interpret the unclear verse in light of all the clear verses. You don't take the, all the clear verses and say, oh, this unclear one, let's, let's throw out all the clear ones. Let's stick to the unclear. What you do is uh, the Reformation principle of interpreting the Bible is Scripture interprets Scripture. So if you've got 50 verses saying justification is by faith alone and one verse saying justification is by works, you know that something is up. Well, here's what's up. The word justification could also be translated vindication. It's one word, but it could have different meanings. So just like, uh, you know, I could say a dog barks and I could say a tree has bark, right? Your tree doesn't bark, right? Your dog barks, but we're using the same word different meanings. I could, I could refer to a date and I could mean fruit. I could mean dating. I could mean I'm dating myself when I make this statement. I could mean my date of birth. It could mean lots of things, right? The word date could be used in lots of ways. The same with the word justified. How do you know which way you're using it? The context determines it, right? So if I say the, uh, the dog barked, you don't think that the dog is covered with tree bark, Okay because the context helps you understand it. In the same way, that's what's going on here. Here's how I know for sure that that's what's going on. Look at what Jesus says in Matthew eleven nineteen, up on the screen. The Son of Man came eating and drinking. They say, look at him, a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Yet wisdom is justified by her deeds. So he's using the word justified in a different way than Paul is using it. Jesus is here and saying he's using it in the sense of vindication, proven to be true. Wisdom is proven to be true by its deeds. In the same way James is using it that way, faith is proven to be true by works. The Apostle Paul actually uses uh, the, the word justification in that way as well in the book of 1 Timothy. So it's one word that can be used in various different ways, but I actually think James is using this word on purpose because everybody's talking about justification by faith alone and people are misusing it. And so he is pastorally not wanting them to go the other direction. So Martin Luther said that uh, we as Christians can be like a drunken guy on a horse. You know, we're riding along, we fall off this side. Then we get back up and then we fall off that side. Uh, the, we swing back and forth to the edges sometimes because of our lack of understanding. And what, so if you put all of those things together, what it, what it teaches us is exactly what the Apostle Paul says. And this is how we know that Paul does not contradict James. Look at Ephesians 2, 8 through 10. This is Paul saying, by grace you have been saved, not works, through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. So nobody gets saved by their works. Okay. We are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So, we, so God saves us by grace, and then he prepares works for us to walk in. What James is saying is, you say that you're saved by grace, but you're not walking in any works. And that faith cannot save you. Finally, he uses another illustration about this woman, Rahab, and she's a great illustration because she was a prostitute. She lived in a city that did not worship God, but she had heard about the true God, 
and that the true God was, had delivered his people out of Egypt and that they were coming to take their land. And in the middle of this land was a city named Jericho that was an, a, an extremely evil city uh, where they did all kinds of horrible things that we don't got time to get into right now. But God was bringing his judgment upon them and the Israelites were going to take that part of the land. So they sent in spies to Jericho to see what the situation is. Now, these two spies weren't even that great either. Why did they end up at the prostitute's house? But they get there to the prostitute's house and they go, um, hey, we're here, we're spies for Israel. You've heard of the true God. He's going to take this land. And she had heard of the true God. And even though she is not living a life of holiness by any stretch of the imagination, she says, I've heard of that God and I will protect you because you belong to that God. And James uses her as an example. Here's not a woman. Her faith is just the true God is big and powerful and good. That's all she knows about him. And she's now acting on that by saving these guys who were going to be killed by the armies that were looking for them. And she did it because they belonged to the true God. She had faith, but she also had works. So when you think about this whole thing, don't think of like, I have to earn my salvation. I have to be this super holy person. Think of these very regular people like Abraham and Rahab the prostitute. They put their faith in God and that led to works in their life. And this is what God is calling for you. Look at verse 26. For as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead. God wants you to have an alive faith and not a dead faith. Now here's the beauty of it all. Jesus, as the perfect human, as the perfect Israelite, as the true Christian, as a man of faith, his life was filled with the works of God, especially for the poor. Would we revere Jesus the way that we do if he didn't do these great works? His faith had works. He held an unwavering trust in his Father. His faith had works. This led to works of righteousness according to the law. He obeyed God's law perfectly and thought word and deed for 33 years of his life without messing up once. And so we don't put our faith in our works. We put our faith in Jesus' works. And after we put our faith in Jesus' works, his works begin to work through our life. Jesus' work on the cross is what saves us. We embrace that. The Spirit works within us. And works it out. We believe it, we breathe it in, and then we breathe it out. Jesus showed us the way that the works that we have to do are cruciform. In other words, the works that we have to do mean that we will lay down our life for others, we'll inconvenience ourselves for others, we'll go out of our way for others. That's what a living faith does. And Jesus showed the way. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we give you thanks that you have saved us for Jesus' sake and you have prepared works for us to walk in. I pray that every person here would take a good, hard look at their, their soul to see if they're in the faith. And I pray that no condemnation would come from this time, but instead people would just be real with you. Open up our hearts and minds, Lord. We thank you that Jesus did the work that we could not do.